0: Hello, I'm Nicola, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and welcome back to The Advice Show, a podcast that gives you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. Today, I'm joined by David Page, Head of Macroeconomic Research at AXA Investment Managers, to discuss bond markets, higher interest rates, and concerns around the US debt ceiling. So hi, David, and thanks very much for joining us from Paris. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Nicola, and thanks for having me on the show.
0: Good, good. It's great to have you here. Um, David, I want to get onto the US debt ceiling. Um, It's it's something we've heard a lot about in recent months. But first of all, just on the kind of current market environment uh, for bonds, um, something we've heard a lot is that markets aren't pricing in or may not be quite pricing in the longer term impact of the kind of substantial interest rate rises we've seen over the past year or so. Do you think that is the case, and if if that is the case, you know what could the impact on the bond market be moving forward as markets start to digest that?
1: Yeah, no I think that they probably have factored in these these big increases so much so that in many ways markets are are keen to look through into the next phase and and for quite some time in fact, since the banking turmoils have emerged in March. US markets particularly have started pricing aggressively the fact that the Fed's going to have to start easing interest rates. So whereas you know the Fed itself is still having a conversation as to whether or not it's reached a peak, we think it probably has, but the Fed is is cautious about announcing a pause at this stage. The markets not only assume that that we have seen this peak, but that they're assuming several cuts um before year end. Indeed, probably the first cut coming after the summer. So that's causing some problems for um, for the Federal Reserve that is still concerned that perhaps they haven't done enough in terms of tightening to quell inflation and to soften the economy sufficiently. So I think markets are going to go through a, a little bit of a, a period of turmoil in the second half of, of this year, Because on the one hand, we think the policy rate is unlikely to fall by as much as markets have suggested, and that would suggest a repricing in bond markets, so yields, Mm -hmm. if anything, pushing a little bit higher. But at the same time, we're also expecting the economy to start finally showing some signs of of rolling over, of of entering what we think will only be a mild recession, but a a recession that, that nevertheless will deliver the disinflation that the Federal Reserve ultimately wants, and will ultimately leave the Federal Reserve in a position to cut rates not this year, we don't think, but starting very early next year. So insofar as bond markets always try and anticipate that, they're going to have to price, perhaps rates not moving quite as soon as they think, but still more evidence that ultimately we are going to see um, rates falling down. And I think that that's going to leave markets sort of range trading. We've seen US 10-year yields uh, around the 3.5% mark for some time. And we think sort of a, a level around that, that level is, is probably where we end the year as well.
0: Mm, okay, thanks, David. That's really, that's really kind of comprehensive. Thank you. Um, so I mean, do you think with that in mind, do you think that investment managers need to prepare for a little bit more, um, you know, and, and how much more, I suppose, volatility in the market in the second half? Or do you think that broader backdrop of uh, recession is 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 more just something that they should focus on?
1: Um no, I think there's there's probably opportunity to focus on a little bit of volatility. <clears throat> I think it depends which asset class we're looking at. You know, obviously thinking mostly about bonds at the moment, but we're likely, we think, to see some um some some risk-off pressure coming through in, in the equity space. Um we think that earnings um for, for value stocks in uh, are still relatively um high. If we're expecting to see signs of of mild recession emerging in the second half of this year, we think growth is going to be relatively mediocre next year. And so earnings probably a little bit high there. So we wouldn't be too surprised to see equities come under pressure in the second half of the year. And naturally, um, that will give some support to bond markets, which should help push yields a little bit lower. But at the same time, yields are already sort of substantially lower than the policy rate. And as I say, that tension against the policy rate is going to be there. So I think you know much less volatility I would expect. Um, and certainly some opportunity um, to lengthen duration of the portfolio if we're moving out of a uh, an interest rate rising environment into something that's at least going to be stable but, but anticipating um, an easing environment as we go into 2024. Um, so there is there is going to be a little bit of movement, and I think yeah, um, you know, active investors are, are going to be able to take some opportunities um, to to lock in for the, a more medium term move that we would expect to start as we move towards the end of this year.
0: Okay, in- interesting. On a, on the valuations for value equities, is that something that applies to um, value equ- equities, you know, globally, here in the UK, in the US, in Europe, or, or are you just more more meaning um, US?
1: Specifically, they're referring to the US, but I think, you know, there is going to be a a consistent assessment that comes through on on growth prospects in in the European region, specifically, um, Mm -hmm. including the UK. You know, we've been positively surprised on the macro front, Um, not that growth has been stellar uh, in either the UK or the Eurozone, but we had feared something far worse given the the problems over energy over the winter. And that's not materialized. So both economies have proven more resilient than that. But I think that the corollary of that is that the domestic central banks, the ECB and the Bank of England have had to tighten monetary policy much more And that's likely to have an impact, a headwind on um, growth as we move towards the end of this year, as we go into early next year. So that growth profile is shifted a little bit lower there. And that's Mm -hmm. something that that the equities in in the European space are going to have to digest as well.
0: Yeah, Okay. And are you seeing investors sort of prepare portfolios for this outcome? For example, like maybe moving, um, I don't know, a little bit underweight in growth equities, taking a bit more duration?
1: Um, yeah not uh, specifically I I don't specifically talk to what individual investors are are doing but you know as a market as a whole there does seem to be a shift towards that and I think you know if you look at bond markets we were we went through a phase where bond yields were chased deliberately higher during uh, obviously the interest rate tightening process but also against a backdrop where inflation looked like it was continuing to rise and threatened forcing central banks to move even further now we're at the phase where we're seeing the peak in that come through. Inflation rates starting to fall, um, certainly on a headline basis. Some signs that core starting to roll over as well. Um, now you're seeing uh, yields fall back, and that's clearly you know moving from that that shorter duration bias that, that that had been there to markets generally moving into longer duration assets again. So yeah, nothing nothing specific on the investor side of things, but but clearly that's a move that the market as a whole has made.
0: Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, BNY Mellon's chief economist, um, Shamik Dar, uh, yesterday, he was speaking at an investor conference. And he said that um, going forward, he or they as a a house, expect to see um, higher real interest rates, just kind of permanently going forward. Um, And that would be a, a big change, obviously. But do you do you agree with that view?
1: Broadly, yes. I mean, obviously, it begs the question of higher than what. um, Mm -hmm. But if he's referring, as I I assume he is, to the previous sort of decade and the sort of the the aftermath of the great financial crisis, then, yeah, I think that is something we are likely to see. Um, We always knew at the time, although it's been difficult to live through over 10 years, that balance sheet recessions tend to have or cast quite a long shadow. It's taken a long time to get through. Obviously, in, in the early 2010s, we also had, you know, austerity, which, uh, even at the time, some of us thought might be misplaced, but, but hindsight probably proves that point. Um, and so that weighed on growth, it meant that we it took a long time for the economies to, to move out of that. Um, and all of that, you know, against some of the, the backdrops for um, the longer term drivers of, of long term interest rates, demographics, some of the globalization stories um, have helped long term interest rates fall back. But we've now gone through a phase where it looks like we're we're basically moving out of that period. Um, we've, we've gone through obviously a very unusual recession with COVID, and, and we think we're into a, a, a more normal, um, certainly in the terms of the, the US, a more normal mild business recession is likely to emerge coming through here. But I think you know when we look at the, the vast amounts of investment that, that's likely to be done, we are hopeful that um, that the underlying rate of, of interest should be a little bit higher than the depressed rate we saw. Um, over most of the 2010s. So yeah, we we think that it's likely that that real rates probably are going to have to be a little bit firmer going further forwards, with all of the implications that that has.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, which parts, if if that is the case, which kind of parts of the market can you see that affecting uh, the most?
1: Well, it it clearly has an impact on you know on, on assets over a given duration. So when we're looking at mm. um, you know equity markets where we saw very good growth performance coming through. A lot of that was on the back of, you know, long duration income coming through from those those assets. And if we do have a, you know, we're not looking at a material um, push higher in our, in the the underlying rate of in, interest going further forwards, but it, it starts to be a headwind um, for those sorts of stocks as well. And obviously, you know, absolute levels of yield start to change as well.
0: Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just thinking about um, the audience of this podcast that, you know, financial advisors, um, I suppose could, you know, savings and retirement products be something um, where we might see some some significant, well, maybe not significant, but some price changes in the in the market um, as a result of that kind of environment.
1: They will see some price changes. It's not something I would want to get involved with in terms of, you know, giving that advice to financial advisors <laughs> yeah. they're, they're very well regulated for a reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so turning now to the US debt ceiling, Mm-hmm. Again, something we've heard about a lot. Um, David, would you be able to just sort of briefly explain what exactly that is? And I think the distinction between a scenario where the government breaches the debt ceiling and actually default on debt is is something that would be good to kind of um, explain as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so congress has a um a statutory duty to lift the limit of of overall um us government borrowing and historically this started in about 1917 historically it's it's almost rubber stamped that Um, so it's a check and balance but but it's something that congress has fulfilled Um, with perhaps the exception of some period in in the mid 90s from 2011 this this constitutional duty or this congressional duty um, is something that started to be politicized. So um, what President Obama found was that in a, a Republican House um, at the time with, with the Tea Party, who were obviously very fiscally conservative, um, they withheld the the, the the increase in the debt ceiling, which, which limits overall the amount that the US government can borrow um, in exchange for other uh, policy changes. And the policy changes that came through at the time were effectively fiscal um, tightening uh, coming through at that stage. And so we've seen a couple of episodes where that's had a material impact. 2011 um, was was one of those. 2013, we also went through a, a similarly um, tricky period. And then we've also gone through a period over the last decade or so where the threat of the debt ceiling has been used, but actually nothing's really emerged. Um, so this time looks slightly different because once again a sort of small minority of the house particularly a a faction of the republican party um, stalled their approval of now house speaker mccarthy um, got a lot of um, significant rule changes going through uh, which increased their leverage um, over mccarthy Um, and once again um, that that sort of backdrop is leading the house to try and force political change on the White House. And at the same time, the White House and President Biden um, was involved in obviously the the Obama government that made those changes back in 2011. And and in hindsight, both in terms of the fiscal austerity that was enacted and the impact that that had on the um, US economy at the time, and therefore the impact that it had um, on a political basis, the government thinks that th- that both of those moves were mistakes at the time and is keen not to repeat those mistakes. So you've got two different political factions that, um, that are ideologically opposed to compromise at the moment and the clock's ticking. Now the, the slight uncertainty with the debt ceiling is that we're not actually 100% sure when the US government is going to run out of money. It's already got to its borrowing limit. But the Treasury is at the moment being able to use what it describes as extraordinary measures, um, paying different things in different ways for a period of months to continue normal operations. But but ultimately, those extraordinary measures will run out and they'll run out relatively soon. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has suggested that um, they could run out as soon as the 1st of June, uh, although she did concede that it might be several weeks after that. And and then there's a couple of complications as to when the US also receives additional tax receipts, which give it more money to spend. So we actually think that there's a good chance that this doesn't come to to the X date, as they describe it, the point where they run out of cash, until something that's later in July. But nevertheless, as we approach that sort of that first deadline that that Janet Yellen has pointed to the 1st of June, markets are going to get increasingly nervous about what the implications could be
0: mm that's really that's really interesting david thank you um and you touched on it a bit just now but uh what sort of steps are being taken to prevent uh this happening
1: well at the moment the preventative steps are um are, are basically negotiations of how to get to compromise so mm-hmm. the uh, u.s house has passed a bill which said they would increase the debt ceiling by one and a half trillion but in exchange for four and a half trillions worth of um, deficit reduction over the next 10 years um, specifically identifying some of the areas that are key sort of uh, or seen as key achievements from the Biden administration. So that's unacceptable um, to the White House. It's, it'll be unacceptable to the um, the Democrat um, majority Senate. Um, so there's a, a period of back and forth going on at the moment. Um, President Biden has met with um, House congressional leaders um and they are talking about you know where this this where they could come together and and actually you know some of the 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 mood music that's coming from this has been um upbeat president biden himself suggests that talks have been constructive um as did the um as did brainard who who's now on the council of economic advisors um but you know some of the, the responses from the republicans has been well actually it's not been that constructive so you know when these political dynamics are going on it's always hard to get to the sort of truth of what's genuinely going on But it does feel like the, you know, many people talk about different ways out of this situation. But the the U.S. system of checks and balances is is quite tight Um, and it's designed to prevent um, sneaky ways out. So it's designed to try and get compromise between the two parties, which is what you really want in a democracy. So everything is being funneled in that way but the the question is what's going to happen to get the two sides to change their their positions and unfortunately we think that what 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 is required to get to that end point is a degree of pain being shown now pain can come through in different areas um ultimately it could come through from the economy but the economy is quite slow to to show its pain if you like um, you know, even the, even the more regular data tends to be a month out of date before it's ab- actually published. But financial markets show that in real time. Um, and what we're concerned about is that we need to see some degree of financial market pain to give the politicians the excuses to um, to compromise on their, their, their sort of long standing positions. So that sets up a period of volatility, which is why we think that as we get to the 1st of June, We'll increasingly see some pressure come through in financial markets, mm. and when this comes towards a head, which we still think is most likely to be towards the end of July, uh, we could see you know quite some uncertainty being priced in markets.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So that volatility will it primarily would it primarily be seen in um, the U.S. Treasury market? bond markets more broadly or
1: interestingly not necessarily i mean when we looked back at 2011 2013 as you know as the best examples of what's happened before i mean there are certain securities that have that have shown this up quite clearly for some time uh us cds spreads um are are, are widening treasury bill yields are higher around the dates when when there's a fear that um that the x date could fall and you know theoretically Mm. the u.s could default on those. We've seen those um, being priced differently for a while. But I think as we get into the sort of real throat of this debate, um, we would expect to see pressure come through in equity markets. Uh, Admittedly, in in different sort of backdrops in 2011, we saw the S&P falling by about 17% in the Uh, in and shortly after the the, the debt ceiling debate even in 2013 there was a 5% drop in the S&P after the resolution and because we think that ultimately some form of compromise is likely um, an agreement to lift the debt ceiling we think is likely to be paired with some form of fiscal tightening either detailed at the time or to be worked out afterwards but but that providing the sort of ideological reason why equities could perhaps come under a little bit of pressure so we see those coming through first Dollar I think, also likely to come under pressure, I mean interestingly, at the moment where markets are fearing not just the uncertainty of the resolution but fearing, well, what if this is wrong, what if we don 't get a resolution and you actually get a default? Mm. A default from the u s we think is something that could could have global ramifications, and under those situations, the dollar would normally gain um, so at the moment, we think some of the upside to the dollar is coming about um, from from this this uncertainty. But if we get a resolution, and that resolution includes some fiscal uh, deficit reduction, then that's something that we think is likely to weaken the dollar yeah. um, in the same way that, that the banking turmoil um, has had some impact on the dollar as well. So dollar seeing some some converse moves at the moment. And so then last after that is, is what happens in yields. And actually when we look back to 2013, both two year yields, both 10 year yields, um, saw very little movement um, through the whole period. Yeah. But in 2011, where we saw a much more substantial risk-off, uh, then yields did fall over that period as well. So on balance, we would argue that that yields are probably going to be a little bit softer, um, fall a little bit. But but we have less conviction over that than the uh, than the expectation to see some volatility in equity markets.
0: Mm, okay, that's interesting. And I mean, yields for U.S. Treasuries have still been a little bit elevated, haven't they, throughout 2023 so far. So so yeah yeah i mean
1: we've we've certainly seen a pickup which is obviously part of the of the cycle and although um there's quite a deep discount between sort of the policy rate that we're seeing you know the fed Mm -hmm. at five and a quarter as i said as that we think is a peak you know with with treasury yields ten-year treasury yields at three and a half you've actually got quite a deep inversion and that that inversion is something that we think contributes to the outlook for recession in the second half of the year so there's They have risen um, but there's still quite a steep discount as they try and anticipate the next move coming through
0: Mm, okay okay i mean david how much from your perspective how much does uncertainty around uh this this debt ceiling crisis um matter for for bond investments you touched on some of those kind of movements and those impacts that could happen um, but I, I guess particularly as, as U.S. Treasuries, for example, is seen as quite a safe haven, right, in the event of a, of a downturn and a recession.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's quite unusual. And if we again, if we go back to 2011, we actually saw S&P, the credit rating agency, downgrade the U.S. sovereign debt outlook on the back of the developments there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that suggests that U.S. Treasuries were less of a safe haven than they were before the the, uh, the event whereas actually what happened to yields is they fell a little bit, you know, people thought there was more value in them than that. So mm-hmm. slightly contradictory move coming through there. Um, and, and we would expect broadly the same again. It's why we think that there is probably less adjustment coming through from a, a bond market perspective than there is in other asset classes. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's two phases to this. There's the one, which is what we, we, we focus most on because we think this is what's definitely um on the cards, is a period of market volatility and, and the potentially the short term impact that you could see coming through there. So yeah you know, if we do see a, a material impact on equities coming through, we would expect to see a modest drop in yields thereafter and that's you know that's the the broad sum of it so in 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 total, there shouldn't be too much of an impact for the bond market. The bigger question is what would happen theoretically if if we're wrong and for whatever reason there is a, a political miscalculation and the u s does start to default mm-hmm. and there are two sort of um, answers from that. The first is the sort of um, if they default on everything, so they just stop paying anything and, and therefore they missed a securities payment. Mm. And frankly, the outlook for that is um, is, is sort of financial market Armageddon. Um, I mean, back in 2011, 2013, the Federal Reserve subsequently published um, records of its meetings where it said, well, in the event of a default on securities, we don't know what will happen because we as the Fed don't have sufficient knowledge of how the financial system works to know how that could work through. So if that's what the Federal Reserve is saying, you know, there, there's a great deal of uncertainty about what the implications of that could be. But there's a, a second school of thought which suggests um, and probably quite rightly that the Fed that the Treasury and the Federal Reserve will be able to manage not to default on securities, in which case bond markets will see this uncertainty but they'll default on other obligations, which means, you know, effectively they stop government pay, they stop paying pensions, they stop paying for other goods and services. So that then becomes a very extreme form of government shutdown, uh, a very extreme form of fiscal tightening, which is a a decelerator to the economy, um, would probably propel the US even more quickly into recession, and may come um, and may therefore sort of accelerate The federal reserves easing well in that situation you would expect to see uh, bond yields also falling back um, quite sharply as they try and catch up with how much this this additional fiscal tightening which isn't in the markets at the moment is going to impact fed pricing going further forwards Mm -hmm. so i think you know two very different outcomes one um, really opening pandora's box in a way that that we're, we're pretty confident we won't see But the other also suggesting, you know, a much more material economic impact, which is inevitably going to have more of an impact on bond markets. But both of those outcomes, um, a default is something that we don't expect ultimately to occur. The catch, I think, is that from a financial market perspective, we may have to believe that it could occur to set in motion the dynamics to make sure it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Okay and then the final question on the on the debt ceiling crisis is um are you seeing or can you see um any issues of liquidity prop like prop up uh, particularly in the in the treasury US treasuries space
1: i mean there have been issues around um liquidity particularly as um you know the fed's been very slowly withdrawing excess reserves via its quantitative tightening program and we've seen a lot of money moving into money market funds and then being re- repositioned back at the Fed into the overnight reverse repo. So that's the mar- left the market relatively tight and that, that liquidity has been affected um, in the US as well. Again, I think, you know, in the short term, um, the increased volatility around resolution would probably add to some of those problems and you would probably see a little bit more, uh, sorry, a little bit less liquidity there. Not necessarily anything that would be disruptive, but but certainly something that um, that, that would be noticeable. But it, it becomes a different ball game if we actually go into default, which, again, is, is something we're pretty confident we won't. But in that scenario, yeah, I mean, we could see some significant liquidity issues at that point.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. Brilliant. Um, David, that's about all we have time for uh, this afternoon. So thank you again very, very much for joining us. and a pleasure great to have you and thank you everyone for listening if you'd like to get in contact with any questions about this episode uh you can email me i'm nblackburn at citywire.co.uk or you can find us on twitter we're at new model advisor thanks again everyone for listening